Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, we thank you for it. God, we thank you that your word is always true and that you never change. And Lord, we thank you for how um, your word brings light and, and truth to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower Pastor Gina to preach your word with boldness. And Lord, we ask that you would um, open the eyes of our hearts to hear and empower us to be obedient to what you're inviting us into with your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. And if you didn't have your Bible with you, um, but you've got your phone, you can pull up that app as long as you're not scrolling on other things while we're preaching. Okay? Deal? Um, This morning, I feel like that before we even start the message, that the Lord has given me a scriptural charge to give you about listening to this message from Proverbs 4, 20 to 23. It says, My son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And so a charge to listen, to pay attention to these words that we're going to hear from um, God's word. In just a minute, Dane, um, my husband, is going to read the scripture. But I want you to know that I feel like this message has incredible potential. It has incredible potential to change your heart to change your life, to change your relationships, to change your health. It has the potential, I believe, to renew the church and to usher in the revival that we've been praying so long for. And so it's with these words that I read the um, Gospel Tool Unit 26, that kind of sets the stage for the scripture that we're getting ready to hear. Unit 26 says, God's grace produces a willingness to forgive others as we've been forgiven by God. Although not all forgiveness leads to reconciliation, God's children reflect our Father's image by forgiving sins and learning to bless even our enemies. And so the reading of the word from Matthew 18 21 to 35. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned who owed him 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded his fellow servant. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister's sins from from your heart. The reading of God's word. Peter asked Jesus a question about a common problem. Um, We all have people that do wrong things to us. We get hurt. We have debts, trespasses against us. It's a common problem because sin is common, because we live in a broken world. And so he asked this question of how many times should we forgive? How many times should we forgive those that sin against us, the debts that are owed us? How many times do we need to forgive the broken promises? How many times do we need to forgive the expectations that aren't met? How many times do I need to forgive being mocked or bullied? How many times do I need to forgive those harsh words and those mean looks? How many times do I need to forgive my mother? How many times do I need to forgive my father or my sister or my brother or my neighbor? How many times? The list of ways that we could be hurt is innumerable. But every hurt acts just like a little spore of mold in our lives. And if it's not dealt with, it grows up to be a moldy mess. Peter offers what he thinks is a generous suggestion. He goes, how many times? Like seven? Well, you see, the rabbis taught that three would be good enough. Forgive three times. They were basing it off some Old Testament scriptures. It's interesting, the ones that had all these laws thought three would be generous. And so what did Peter do? He doubled it and said, well, seven, because, well, of course, seven's more than double that. And it's the perfect number. And so, seven should be good enough, shouldn't it? How many times do we think it's reasonable to forgive? You know, sometimes you just think, how many times? Enough is enough. Or if it was just hurting me, but this is hurting my children, or this is hurting my loved one. And so, surely there must be a limit, right, Jesus, right? Because you know what they've done. You know what they've done. Who are they that have hurt us? How many times do we need to forgive them? Jesus answers Peter's question with a parable. 
A parable is a story that's meant to teach us a lesson, and this story is to teach us a lesson about forgiveness. Can you say forgiveness? All right, just making sure you're tracking with me. So this is about a parable about Jesus teaching us about forgiveness. A parable is a simple story. It's not meant to be um, like analyzed from every possible angle, but there's general principles that he's trying to teach through this simple story. And when you're going to talk about forgiveness, where does he start? He starts with the king and the kingdom. If you're going to talk about forgiveness, we have to go to the big picture story of a heavenly king and his kingdom. That's where it starts in verse 23. And the king has servants. And if you notice in this story, every servant's falling short. We all fall short of the glory of God. The king calls for settling the account. Notice he doesn't brush it under the rug and just say it didn't really ever happen. There's a naming of the debt. There's a naming of the trespass. There's an accountability with the king. And he holds those who are in debt to him accountable, and that's called justice. Can you say justice? I'm asking you to repeat because I know it's warm in here, and I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen, to hear these words that he says, all right, there's this debt. And what is the normal payment? Well, he, he gives the normal payment. That's justice. But then the parable teaches us. That God is also full of pity and compassion. And he canceled the man's debt. The man just said, let me pay it back. Just be patient. Let me pay it back. God is so compassionate. So much greater. He takes compassion and he says, the debt's paid. Go. You're released. This is grace. Can you say grace? And the grace that he extends in this story is forgiveness. Forgiveness, ape, ami, in the Greek. It means to cancel a debt, to forfeit the right to hold a person captive to the wrong that's committed, to set free, let go, to release, to liberate completely. Verse 27, the master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Forgiveness was an act of the king's will. He made a choice to forgive, and he expects that the recipients are going to turn around and choose to do the same thing and to extend forgiveness and grace to others, verses 32 and 33. Unforgiveness is wicked, and we learn this in this parable. The servant who had received this incredible gift of forgiveness. His debt, it says, was like 10,000 bags of gold, some of your versions say. 10,000 talents. One talent was worth the approximate 20 years of wages. 20 years of wages is one talent, and there were 10,000 talents. It was unthinkable. He could never possibly pay it back. And that's what he had received, forgiveness for that huge amount. And look what flows out of his heart when his fellow servant owes him something. He just owes him three months wages. And he's like ready to choke him. Ah! You owe me. Pay it back. Pay it back. 
sorry he sat in the front row, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, but this is what's flowing out of his heart. It says he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe, he demanded. Can you hear the anger? Can you just feel the blood pressure boiling? And this is what flows out of the person whose heart is not ready to extend forgiveness. It was the exact same request for patience. Please, just give me time, I'll pay it back. But there was no compassion, no pity, no grace, no forgiveness. And this servant, who had initially been shown such forgiveness, but he failed to extend it. It's this person that was called wicked. Notice it's interesting that it doesn't say wicked about having a debt, but it says wicked if you're forgiven a debt and you don't go and extend that same grace. Unforgiveness is punished. We see this in this parable. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is Jesus' word. God, who's a loving and kind and merciful God, is also very angry about sin, and he demonstrates his wrath against the sin of unforgiveness by a severe discipline, sending him to the jail to be tortured. This is justice by the king. The king's love is unconditional, but his ongoing forgiveness is based on our willingness to pay it forward and to extend forgiveness to others just as we've received forgiveness and grace. John Calvin, the theologian, says those who refuse to forget the injuries which have been done to them devote themselves willingly and deliberately to destruction and knowingly prevent God from forgiving them. That's something to think about. If we don't, as believers, we've been forgiven such a debt that we could never pay back to God, and he's so gracious to us, but if we hold unforgiveness in our heart, we are deliberately willing ourselves to destruction and knowingly Preventing God from forgiving us. Other scriptures that teach about God's wrath and discipline for unforgiveness. This Bible passage from Matthew 18 is often cross-referenced with Matthew 6, where Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. pray. Remember that? And we always either need to say, forgive us our debts or our trespasses. As we, As we forgive those who trespass against us. And it goes on to say... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, so God extends grace to us. And now let's just say that Dane does something that perturbs me. Let's turn it around and say, I did something that perturbed him and he's received God's forgiveness. All right? Is he going to choose to extend grace and forgiveness to me? Or is he going to choose to um, extend justice and hold me accountable down, like hold his thumb on me? All right? How he treats me or how I treat him is how God's going to then turn around and treat me or him. It's what measure do we want to hold up to people because that's the measure then that God's going to hold us. Mercy or justice? James 2, 12 and 13 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say that together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus teaches us that the king values mercy and he expects the servants of his kingdom to also hold this high value and embody it. The king's punishment of torture in jail sounds very drastic, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of sounds, maybe it sounds drastic to us in this civilization, and yet we know that there is judgment and it can be harsh. The king in this time, in this story, the context was that if you owed a debt, you either your family was sold off and all your possessions were sold off and your family was put into slavery, you were put into forced labor, or you were sent to jail until you paid it all back and torture and mistreatment was a very common practice in the jail. And so the king was giving the just punishment for the offense. When Jesus teaches this parable, some people point to the torturers as a picture of oppression by evil spirits, of bitterness, anger, hatred, which God allows to inflict and affect the person who's not extending forgiveness. Now let me tell you some things I found online from the Mayo Clinic. This is why I said I feel like this even has potential to impact our health because Mayo Clinic says letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships. Forgiveness can lead to stronger immune systems. Forgiveness can um, cause you to have better heart health. Forgiveness, Mayo Clinic says, can help you to have less anxiety, less depression, less stress. Did you hear that? They've scientifically found that there can be less depression, less anxiety, less anger, less stress, better health, better relationships when people forgive. That's science pointing to the wisdom of God. Mayo Clinic also said unforgiveness can bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. 
It can cause you to be so focused on the wrong from the past that you can't enjoy the present. Unforgiveness, Mayo Clinic says, results in not all depression, but depression, anxiety, feelings of purposelessness, loss of connection with others, and even putting you at odds with your spiritual beliefs. Do you know that sin separates us from God? Do you know that when you've got active sin in your life, that it puts a barrier, a distance? If you've ever felt distant from God, it's good to just do an assessment and ask the Holy Spirit, do I have sin in my life? Is there some way? Because suddenly I feel like there's some distance. God didn't go anywhere. What did we do? We turned away from him. Sin, we turn away from him. And that's what happens with unforgiveness. Friends, when I used to be a nurse and did, um, what do you call those, pre-employment health screenings, I was amazed at the number of people, and this was maybe 15, 20 years ago, the amount of people in our, in our city that are on antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds. When we read the news today and we hear that the amount of depression since COVID like is skyrocketing, that you, they can't, the therapists are filling their books and they can't even fill all the slots because they don't have enough therapists to meet with people. And I think, what is going on and what potential is there that God might want to bring revival and bring spiritual awakening as he teaches us and we learn to extend forgiveness and grace and how that could have a rippling effect. Unforgiveness results in misery, and it's relieved only through the door of forgiveness. I want to tell you a little story that happened in my garage recently. So I was getting ready to go out in the garage, and there happened to be just a, I would say maybe a, I don't know if it was an adolescent robin, but it wasn't one of those big, fat, plump robins, but it was a modest-sized robin sitting on top of the garage door opener. And so I've had little sparrows and small birds before been in there, and the minute I push the garage door opener, they scoot right out. Well, this bird just jumped up onto the um, bracket coming from the ceiling and didn't go anywhere. So I pushed the garage door up and down and up and down, and I'm like going, go out, bird, bird, go out of my garage. And it was not obeying me. And so then I got a broom, and um, I was trying to not swat the bird, I was just trying to, it probably looked at me as a torturer, right? But I was just trying to direct the bird, like, off there. And all it did was it went, we've got bicycles hanging in all the corners of our garage. And it went from one high point to the next, flying over here and then flying over there and then to the back and then over there. And Dane comes in and he says, oh, it doesn't want to go out the garage door. We should open the service door. And it can see its path better, and then it will go out. But opening the service door meant moving a bunch of junk that was in front of the door. So we move all the junk. We open the service door. Robin, leave our garage. And it's not leaving our garage. And I have the broom, and I'm trying to direct it. The little Robin is panting. I've never been that close to a Robin. And it's like, you know, and I'm like, oh. Dane gets a, a step stool or a step ladder and a towel. 
and ends up wrapping this bird in a towel, walking it out the door, and setting it free. All right, why am I telling you about the bird? Because it's really like that. It's like that we get into, we get offended, we get hurt, and we end up being like the robin in the garage. That's This is not where it's meant to thrive, but it got there. And if it doesn't get out, it's going to die. And that we are trying and trying to help this. And, you know, God gives discipline, even a severe discipline, for the purpose of trying to redirect us in the direction that we're supposed to go. He's trying to redirect this servant to say, you need to go the route of forgiveness. All right, I want to tell you three stories I've got permission to share. And before I do, I just want to say, Jesus teaches us to forgive as we've been forgiven. And why does he do this? Number one, because mercy is a value of the kingdom of God. Number two, as servants and ambassadors of the king, We embody the gospel when we forgive because what is the gospel in its simplest form is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that Jesus sacrificed himself. He laid down his life as an atonement, the payment for our sins. If we put our faith and belief in what Jesus did, we are forgiven. God gives us this gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Number three, why do we forgive? It's the way of peace and blessing for ourselves. And for other people. So I'm going to tell you three stories. And this first one is um, tender. I've never told it in a public setting, but I have permission to tell you this. Um, A couple of years ago, I found myself on a weekend unexpectedly in the Ozark Mountains. And I had decided I was going to go to the little Assemblies of God church that Sunday morning. I was staying at somebody's home that I had never met before. They They were a Christian author. Speaker, and they had given me a little um, draft of something they had written on forgiveness. And I said, yeah, I'd look it over in the morning. So I wake up that Sunday morning, and as clear as can be, the Lord says to me, you need to forgive the person that assaulted your loved one. I didn't even realize that I was holding unforgiveness, but I've walked with the Lord long enough to know when he speaks, I need to pay attention I had ended up in that garage of unforgiveness. But, you know, I was so concerned about what happened to my loved one and how they had suffered all the counseling, all the depression, all the anxiety, all the things that they had gone through that I had never stopped to think about how angry I was at the person who hurt my loved one. Sometimes people are told it's not okay to get angry. God's word doesn't say that. He says, in your sin, don't ang- in your anger, don't sin. I hadn't even acknowledged I had anger. You know what happened when I found out that my loved one had been assaulted? I pushed it right down. And I don't know if I even intentionally did it or if I don't know how that subconscious, conscious, but like it hurt too bad. And I'm just going to push it over here. But on that Sunday morning, the Lord said, you need to forgive the person that's assaulted your loved one. I read this little teaching that this author had shared with me the night before. What was it on forgiveness? I went to church. The church I had planned to go to 
The night before, what was the sermon on? Forgiveness. And you know what? God was so gracious to me that he let me name how that had made me feel. I couldn't protect. I didn't know. I was so angry. I would have given anything. I wished it would have been against me instead of my loved one. And God helped me to forgive and let it go. And I think he saved me many years of counseling and probably pop-up sadness that I wouldn't have known what the source was except he revealed it. And so I want to say sometimes we don't even know unless we listen to the Holy Spirit. What is it that maybe we need to forgive as well? Another story about forgiveness is about how God can work through racial reconciliation through forgiveness. And um, you remember last week the sermon was on unity and diversity. Remember that? Well, part of the challenge in diversity is that we mistreat one another. And so this is a story from a missionary in Nigeria who saw that these Sudanese um, refugees in Sudan, there were white Arabs and there were black Arabs, and the white Arabs forced the black Arabs into slavery. And then the black Arabs fleed, fled, fled over to northern um, Nigeria. And they heard the gospel story, and God gave them a new heart, and he gave them the ability to forgive. And then all of a sudden, here comes some of the white Arabs fleeing as refugees. And their black brothers and sisters start to extend love and pity and compassion and forgiveness. And what happened? The white Arabs came to know the love of Christ and to receive forgiveness. And there was reconciliation between the races after horrendous atrocities had happened. And it happened through forgiveness. One more story. Because this is why I say I think that forgiveness has the possibility to renew us and revive us, to bring us health and wholeness, but also to reflect God's hope and goodness and bring love in replace of hostility. Remember, he divided, the dividing walls of hostility were down. And he brought that reconciliation between races. And now I want to tell you one more story that came. And this again is from um, Ruth Belkamp, who's a missionary, who had been a missionary over in Nigeria. I had written her in February 23 of 2009 about the missional impact. What did she think the missional impact of forgiveness could be? And she said, let me tell you this story. And so I'm going to read the email that she wrote me because it's an amazing story and I want you to um, hear it. Amaro had been taken to the police office and beaten. The police then asked him, who are you working for? Who are you working with? And he answered, I'm working for the Messiah. I'm working with the Messiah. The work he has given me to do is to forgive people. So I forgive you because you do not know what you're doing. What do you mean we don't know what we're doing? And he said, you were told to beat me. Were you told what offense I had committed? Of course, they had not been told. They were just following orders. But Umaro continued, you can tell the authorities told you to beat me that I forgive them also. So they went back and they told the authorities, and the authorities said, beat him again. And so they beat him again. And this time, 
She says, do you think the beating was more or less severe than the first time? And then she goes on to say, on the night of the resurrection of Jesus, according to John 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit for special empowering. Special empowering for what? And it goes on to say, if you forgive any one of, your, of, those, of his sins, those sins are forgiven to him. What does that mean? Sins that we forgive lose power both in the lives of those we forgive and in our own lives. The power of the Holy Spirit moves to the other person through our words of forgiveness and starts to weaken the evil powers in that person's life. We ourselves do not become tempted to let that sin provoke us to anger and revenge. We are not overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good, Romans 12:21. The second beating was less severe, not because the authorities wanted it so, but because the power to defeat evil coming through forgiveness. After the second beating, the police asked Umaro the same questions. He once again told them that his work was for the Messiah and it was to forgive them. They reported his answer to the authorities who told them, beat him a third time. But the third beating was even less. The fourth time, they did not beat him, but they told him to go and never come back to that city again. And he replied, I told you that I am working for Jesus, the Messiah. If he tells me to come back to this city because there's more sins to be forgiven, I will do so. The police reported again to the authorities. The fifth time they told him, just let him go. No conditions. As he left, they followed him to the door under the, she says, under the spell or under the influence of forgiveness. I imagine they're just so shocked at this point to interact with somebody that just keeps saying, I, my purpose is to offer forgiveness. And Umaro turns around and he asks them, could I pray for you? And they said, yes. And he prayed, Lord, we've just had another change of government. Please keep these men's jobs for them so that they can feed their families. And they responded, amen. And he continued, and I'm leaving now, but I'm asking that you would, um, your Holy Spirit would remain with them to guide them into all truth. And again, they responded, amen. And he left for home. The next day, Ruth went over to visit him, and she said he was still healing from his wounds, but his face was shining. And he said, I'm a favorite son of God. God would never allow anyone to beat me and just watch any more than I could watch a bully beating my own little son unless he had a reason. And the only reason I can think of is that these men needed to hear the forgiveness of God coming through a human mouth. And God chose me. I know this forgiveness will not be wasted. At least one of those men will come around someday, and I'll have the privilege of leading them into the kingdom of our Savior. Some months later, a well-dressed man showed up at Amaro's house to visit. He asked some questions about the Christian faith, and eventually he admitted, I'm the judge. I'm the one that ordered the beatings. And Amaro led him to the one whose suffering made forgiveness of sins possible. Jesus the Messiah. The judge went back home a follower of Jesus, and since that time the judge had led many into the way of the Messiah, including 60 young Shiites who had been trained as terrorists. When they professed faith in Jesus, they were immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit, 
And she says, what was the evidence? They started forgiving all those whom they had before seen as enemies. Corey Ten Boom says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It's a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Friends, the Lord has forgiven us. He's extended mercy, great mercy. Anytime that we're tempted to think this, this thing that somebody's done to me is just too big. We need to go back and remember the 10,000 bags of gold, the impossible price that could never be paid because that's what Jesus did for us. Our sins on the cross. He's the one when Peter said, how many times do I need to forgive? And he said, 77 or 70 times 7. Beyond any human comprehension of what the perfect number is, he's saying, Forgive and forgive and forgive because every time you do, you embody the Father's love. You embody the Father's compassion. You show the world the kingdom of God and its grace. You know, sometimes we get uptight about how am I going to share the gospel? We're being called to share the gospel. Friends, what if it would be as costly but as simple as that little bird could have just flown out that garage door. Maybe the Lord's inviting you to forgive and to share the gospel, to embody the good news of the forgiveness of our Savior. There's a Bible study that I hope you all will do. There's prayer appointments if you need a prayer appointment. People to talk through and work through some of the nuances of it. We don't have time in this sermon to get into all the details. But the simple message of Jesus to you and me today is the kingdom and the king is a merciful king. Amen.